Welcome to our study of the book of Hebrews here on the Radio Bible Course. Thus far in chapter 1, the author has been exalting Jesus, first of all, as the one who came in the very stamp of the nature of God and upholds the universe by the word of his power. He claims that Jesus is the Son, the heir of all things, and the one who created the world. Then he makes a comparison with Jesus to the angels, and his purpose is, of course, to show how much greater Jesus is than the angels. And there are seven Old Testament passages quoted here from verses 5 through the end of the chapter to demonstrate that the angels never had anything that Jesus had that God made promises and discussed things about this Messiah who was to come that he never said to angels. So in verse 5 he said, God never said to any angel, You are my son. But he said that about the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And in verse 6, the Old Testament said, Let all God's angels worship him. And when we came to verse 8, we saw this. But of the Son, he says, thy throne, O God, is for ever and ever. The writer to the Hebrews believed that Jesus was God the Son. This is an unmistakable passage that declares the deity of Jesus Christ as our God. Thomas came to that point, that apostle who at first doubted the resurrection of Jesus And then when Jesus appeared in the midst of them following the resurrection and held out his hands and invited him to touch them, Thomas fell to his knees and said, My Lord and my God. And the amazing thing there is that Jesus did not correct him or rebuke him for proclaiming that he was his God because he was. Jesus is God the Son. If anyone proclaims a Jesus who is not God the Son, it's not the Jesus of the Bible. They have a Jesus of their own creation. And, of course, they do that for convenience sake, so they can find an authority to support what they already believe. Now, men have done that, but the Jesus of the Bible is described here. Now, we go to verse 10. And the writer writes, And thou, Lord, didst found the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of thy hands. They will perish, but thou remainest. They will all grow old like a garment, like a mantle thou wilt roll them up, and they will be changed, but thou art the same. The writer here quotes from Psalm 102, beginning with verse And we don't have to turn to Psalm 102 because we have it here. He quotes it, all those three passages. This psalm addresses God, and it's applied here to the Son. Now think of that. A psalm written to God the Father, and now the writer applies it to the Son. How dare he do that? Well, he dares do it because he knows that the Son is the Son of the Father. And he knows that the Son was the Creator, the Father's agent in creation. Notice how carefully the author exalts Jesus Christ, 
attributing creation to him, so that if anyone is overemphasizing angels, he will be shown that Jesus is much, much greater than angels. Angels didn't create anything, but Jesus created everything. Now, in verse 13, the writer quotes still another psalm, and this is the seventh in the series. He writes, But to what angel has he ever said, Sit at my right hand, till I make thy enemies a stool for thy feet? This is quoted from Psalm 110, a psalm that speaks of the king's authority and the assurance of victory over his enemies. Now, I want to read more than simply the one passage which the writer to the Hebrews quotes. Listen to Psalm 110. It's a short psalm, and we won't read all of it. The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a stool for your feet. The Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion. You will rule in the midst of your enemies. Your troops will be willing on your day of battle. Arrayed in holy majesty from the womb of the dawn, you will receive the dew of your youth. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is your right hand. He will crush kings on the day of his wrath. He will judge the nations, heaping up the dead and crushing the rulers of the whole earth. So you can see that there is victory that God is going to have over all nations someday, but he is giving that authority to rule and to crush to Jesus Christ. Now, he need not strive for victory because God will give him the throne. Now, this Psalm 110 was used by Jesus in Matthew chapter 22 to cause the Pharisees and those Jews to think they had been rejecting Jesus. They had been arguing with him and trying to prove that he was a blasphemer. So Jesus asked the question in Matthew chapter 22, verse 41. It says, While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? The son of David, they replied. He said to them, how is it then that David, speaking by the Spirit, calls him Lord? For he says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. And here he quotes Psalm 110, verse 1. Then Jesus asked, If then David calls him Lord, how can he be his son? No one could say a word in reply, and from that day on, no one dared to ask him any more questions. What's the point here in this discussion? The point is this, that David talked about his Lord being his son, and these Pharisees admitted that the Messiah who would come would be David's son. Now, Jesus is going to their Bible and talking about what they believe and ask. Why, if he's a son of David, does David call him his Lord? And he quotes Psalm 110, and they can't answer, because they knew that if he did, if they did answer, 
they would have to admit that the Messiah would be a descendant of David, a human, a God-man, and the very thing which Jesus himself was claiming to be. But they wouldn't agree with Jesus. Now, this is how the writer used the Old Testament to prove that Jesus the Christ is greater than angels, and he has done a magnificent job of doing that. He has called him God. He has called him the Creator. The heavens are the work of your hands, he said. They will perish, but you remain. This is the Eternal One. Unlike angels, Jesus is going to be victorious. He is the one who is seated at the right hand of the Father, waiting until God makes his enemies a stool for his feet. Now, so many people think Jesus is going to have to come back here and wage warfare in order to assume the throne which belongs to him. No, God is going to do that. And we saw that in the prophecy in Isaiah chapter 9, where it says of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. And who's going to accomplish this? Listen to the final verse here after that paragraph. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. See, God is going to give him the throne. And isn't that what the angel Gabriel said to Mary, that virgin Jewish girl who was selected to bring the Messiah into the world? Listen to what Gabriel said to her. It's recorded in Luke chapter 1, beginning with verse 31. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great, and he'll be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, his kingdom will never end. The Lord is going to do this. He is going to set his son on his holy hill so that he can rule as God predetermined in ages past. This world was made for Jesus to be the king. He is going to subdue all things. All nature will obey him. When he was here on the earth, before his crucifixion, the wind and the waves obeyed his voice. That proved that he was the creator. The dead were raised, and that proved that he had authority over life and death. Jesus could do anything while he was here. But when he returns and establishes his kingdom, then everything will be subdued permanently under his rule. Now we come to verse 14, the final passage in chapter 1 of Hebrews. He writes, Are they not, and he's speaking of the angels, are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to serve for the sake of those who are to obtain salvation? Well, he asks a question because he wants these Hebrew Christians to realize these that you might have thought you ought to be worshipping, and which the Gnostic false teachers are influencing you to respect 
even equally or above Christ. They are servants, aren't they? Jesus is not cast in that role. Jesus is presented as the God, the Creator, the Eternal One. But angels, they're ministering spirits sent forth to serve. Now, there is no angel who can sit on the right hand of the Father, nor is any angel called, O God, nor is any angel ever described as sitting. They stand. They serve him. And they serve the heirs of salvation, the writer tells us. We are favored beings. In some way, and in some mysterious way, they benefit the children of God. God in former days sent angels as men. They appeared as men to help or to convey information to God's servants. And the angels are said to serve for the sake of those who are to obtain salvation. He is speaking of us who believe. Here's an important question. What kind of orientation to the Bible did you get from your church, your Sunday school, or a Bible class? Most people received none. Isn't it strange that we were introduced to a book of two religions, two lifestyles, and two destinies without any orientation? Most people assume that the church is a continuation of Old Testament Judaism. Our teaching tapes on understanding the New Testament will help you to understand this. Until tomorrow, this is Nick Calavota reminding you that the word gospel means good news. Our address is Radio Bible Courses, Post Office Box 14916, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, 70898. The website is rbcword.org.